Bible's up to John 15. John 15. Many years ago, over 2,000 years ago, Jesus called a small group of men, a very diverse group of men, and we call these men today disciples of Christ. We, we, we know them as the 12 disciples or the apostles of the Lord. They were ultimately, though, just simply Jesus' followers. And here's what Jesus said to them. He said two words, follow me. About six years ago, seven years ago, I began to ask myself, what does it mean for us as a church, as a group of believers, what does it mean for us to be called Christians? What does it mean to be called christ followers. And I was trying to figure out a way that we could articulate who we are as a church, particularly as believers who are following Jesus Christ. And that is where we begin to develop the, uh, the our, kind of our vision statement. Uh, ultimately, we learn them as A, B, and C, abide, belong, and connect. And those are the three things that we believe constitutes following Christ. And so we're not going to dive into all three of those areas today. We are going to be looking at one of those areas, which I think is the primary area. And if you get this part right, the other parts of that just begin to fall into place. But I want you to go back in your minds to many years ago, when Jesus says to this group of diverse men to follow me. And I want you to ask yourself this question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, very simply stated, it means that our life must look like his life. Now we know that we can't be perfect. One of the objections that many people would say about following Jesus, he asked us to do something that's impossible because we can't be perfect. He never said be perfect. He said to follow him. We are to follow after his pattern of life. We are to follow his teachings. In other words, we are to strive to follow Jesus. We're not going to do it perfectly. One of these days, he's going to remove those barriers either at his coming or at our death, and we will reach that glorified state, but we will never be fully perfect like Christ. But we are to follow the pattern of his life. And what do we look at, or what does his life look like? When we look at his life, what do we see? What we see in Christ, when we think of God on earth, Jesus Christ on this earth, we see his life existing in three very distinct, very unique relationships. We see that Jesus Christ had an abiding relationship with the Father, right? He had a time of intimacy that he would get alone with the Father in prayer 
and he would worship and he would, or he would pray and he would uh, commune with the Father. And then we see a time where he would be long with other believers. Those who believed in him, believed that he was God. And he had this special relationship with them. He loved his disciples. And we can see, clearly see that relationship. But then we see a third relationship. We see a relationship in which Jesus goes to people who do not believe in him. He goes to sinners and he goes to the outcasts. He connects with the world in a way of drawing people to himself. And so those are the three distinct, unique relationships that we see in the life of Christ. In fact, I've heard it said like this. If you took the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you chopped up every verse, you could take all these verses, and if you had three buckets, a relationship with the Father, a relationship with other believers, and a relationship with the world, you could drop all of the gospels in one of those three buckets because they exist in that context. This is what we see when we look at the life of Christ, a, an abiding relationship with the Father. He communed, he fellowshiped with the Father, a belonging relationship with believers and a connecting relationship with unbelievers. And this is what I believe God expects of every single church. I do not believe that this is unique with Calvary Baptist Church. I believe that this is what God expects of every single church that belongs to him. God wants us to have an abiding and loving relationship with himself. He wants us to exist in a love relationship with him. God wants us to belong together in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's one of the things that we try to cultivate here at Calvary through fellowship times and through just times of togetherness. I know many of us live miles apart from one another, but we all come back together weekly and we exist together in unity and love. And that means this, that we don't, we don't always perfectly get along, but we endure, we persevere, we forgive, we do all of those things that are necessary for a relationship to exist and then we see that God wants us to reach the lost world with the gospel of Jesus Christ by going out and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ and in hopes that God's word and the spirit of God is going to draw men and women and boys and girls to himself. And so those are the three dynamics. You know, I think sometimes we overcomplicate Christianity, but this is what I like to say. It's as easy as ABC. Abiding with the Father, abiding with God through Jesus Christ, belonging with other believers, existing together, belonging together, having a family of faith, and then reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, again, our focus is on what it means to abide with Christ. And here is our question. What does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be in Christ. Well, I've already read John 1, 1 through 6, but I want us to look at it again, and I want you to listen to everywhere it says these words, in me, in me, okay? Listen again. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me, say that, in me, in fact, when we get to the in me, just say it with me, okay? Every branch 
in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Here it is. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. The statement, in me, refers to our position in Christ. This is our position. We are in Christ. If you are a believer of Jesus Christ, if he has saved you, if you have been born again, you are in him. This is our position. But what does this, this mean? Well, it means this. When we came to faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior and called on him to forgive us of our sins and received him as Lord of our lives, it was at this point that we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We are brought by faith through grace in Christ. Now, there are a lot more complexities that we could get into, but simply understood, that's what it means. Or simply stated, that's what it means. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we now have a relationship with God. Listen to Romans chapter 8. Listen to this verse. Romans 8 are these verses, 1 through 4 of Romans 8. It says, therefore, or there is, therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. Now there was no what? There's no condemnation. You've been forgiven. You've been set free of bondage, of guilt. God has saved you. He's reconciled you to himself. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Look at how often the scripture is placing an emphasis on our position in Christ. John says it, Paul says it, all through the scriptures, we see this statement that's referring to our position in Christ. He says, from the law of sin and death, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, to those who are in Christ. God has set you free. He has put you in Himself. But what is the point of knowing this? Well, the point is very simple. The point is this. God has not called us into a religion. God has not called us to perform rituals. God has not called us uh, to know about who God is. God has called us into a relationship with himself. God invited us into a relationship with himself because what? Because he loves us. 
And he desires relationship, not religion. There's a lot of religions. There are a lot of people who treat God like a religion. And God is some distant, uh, dis- dis- distant knowledge. Uh, something far off. Something that's transcendent. But something that's not imminent. Something that's not within us. And with us. And so some people just have this obscure view of God because they don't understand what it means. When Jesus said to those disciples, follow me, he's saying that to every single disciple of Christ. If you are a disciple of Christ, that's what he's saying to you, follow me. He's brought you into a relationship with himself. Now the question we need to ask now is this, what does the love of Christ look like? Well, John 1, 1 through 5 and verse 14 Scriptures tell us very clearly, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Get this about the God we serve. He's triune. We serve God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's not three different gods, that's one God. He's a triune God, three in one. And in the beginning, he was with God. The word was with God. And and the word was with God. In the beginning with God. All things were made through him. He was creator. Jesus Christ, who was born in Bethlehem, is the creator of the very woman who birthed him. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And listen to this, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. We just celebrated Christmas. This is what Christmas is all about. God with us, Emmanuel. He being made flesh and dwelling among us. When you talk about the love of God, don't, don't identify it as some emotional feeling. You need to see the love of God as wrapped up in the reality of what God did, and that is He came to us. He came down to us. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. When you identify God with love, you need to understand that theological reality. That he came to us because of why? Because he understands our condition. You see, you and I are born separated from God. We are born separated from God. We are eternally separated from God. And many of you have a very difficult time, just like me. There's no way that our human minds can grasp eternity, it's infinite. It goes on and on and on. And so if I can paint a word picture in your mind, imagine a mountain that's infinity, high. It's eternally high. That means no spaceship can reach the top. No person, no matter how skilled of a climber, no matter how good they are at climbing, will never be able to ascend to the top of this mountain. And imagine yourself at the foot of that mountain, and the only way that you can get to God, who is eternal, is to climb that mountain. You can't. It's impossible. That's your condition. Your condition is helpless and hopeless. 
Because there's absolutely no way you would ever be able to ascend to the top of that mountain. So what does God do? He descends. He comes down the mountain. He comes to us. This is what God does through His love. He comes to us because there is absolutely no way. Even though men try to build their own mountains, they try to build their own bridges, they try to make their own way, they try to configure some method, they try to come up with religion, they try to do rituals, they try to go through practices, and they try to do all these things so that they can try to get to God. It's impossible. You will never, you will always fall short of the glory of God. You will never be able to get to God. So what does God do? He understands our condition. He knows our frame, that we are dust. And so He descends. He comes to us. He comes down that mountain because He knows we will never be able to make it to Him. And so God became flesh and dwelt among us. This one who was the Word, who was in the beginning with God, who was, who was all things were created through Him, the creator of, his, of all of these things. We sang this in our song earlier. And, and He is the creator of all that is. And He came into His own creation. He entered from eternality into this confined space. This is what God does. And of course, we know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what happens. That's what God did. He demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God gave His Son. His Son became flesh and dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life so He could be that spotless lamb so that He could be sacrificed die, and, 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 and make an appeasement to God's wrath. A holy God so that we can be set free. When we read, for God so loved the world, oh, let's not read it with such lightheartedness. But let's understand what it means that He gave His only begotten Son. That God became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a Christmas message right there. But this brings up another question. See, this morning is a lot of questions, but hopefully you're getting the answers to them as well. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What it means to look like Christ? What does the love of Christ look like? He came and dwelt among us. But who, here's another question, who are the whosoevers? When you read the Gospel of John, and we're in John 15, but if you go back to the earlier parts of John, in John chapter 3, you know who God saved? John chapter 3, He saved a man by, name, by the name of Nicodemus. I believe with all of my heart that God saved him. But do you know who Nicodemus was? He was a religious man. He was a man who prayed, who gave his tithes. He was a man who did good for uh, people who were down. He was well, um, he had a good reputation in his community. He was a Pharisee. He, this man walked the letter of the law. He fulfilled all the requirements that were necessary for him to be considered a Pharisee in the ranks of the religious elites. But do you know what? That man was a religious man on his way to hell. Religion has never and will never save anybody. But Jesus can. And so Jesus saved in John 3 a religious man. In John 4, Jesus saved a promiscuous woman. The woman at the well. 
A woman who had went to man after man after man after man trying to do what she was doing by going out every single day to that water well to get water. Once the water dried up, she was ready to move on. She had to keep going back. And so she was going through men like candy. Finally, she'd given up on marriage. She was living with the sixth man. And you know what God did to this woman? He saved her. In John chapter 5, there was a crippled man. A man who was putting his hope in a superstition that an angel would come down to a well of water at Bethesda, in the pool of Bethesda, and would stir the water. And when the water was stirred, the first person in the water, after it was stirred by the angel, would be healed. A person who was putting his hope in superstition. A person who was putting his hope in the things of the world. But Jesus came to that man and saved him. When you look at the whosoevers in Scripture, the whosoevers are religious people, sinfully immoral people, helpless people, people with physical ailments, conditions, and problems, uneducated people, smart people. You see, the point is, the whosoevers are all types of people. All types of people. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your bank account. It doesn't matter your religious status. It doesn't matter if you mark on Facebook that you're a Christian or no preference at all. It doesn't matter. Jesus saves all types of people. Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this is the love of God that we see being revealed to us through Scripture, that He sees us in our condition. He comes down to us in all of our varieties. And if you look around the room, there's a large variety of people. And we all come from different backgrounds. We come from different experiences. We come from a, a whole host of different worldviews, ideas, and parts of, the, parts of the country. Some of you have come from other parts of the world. God saves whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. This is the manifestation of God's love. And we see it all throughout Scripture. And here's the thing, that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. You see, when you enter a relationship with Jesus, He constantly works in your life. He never leaves you alone. In our text in John 15, 1-2, it says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. These are agrarian terms. Uh, someone who's a farmer would understand what it means to prune. I, I, I raise tomatoes mostly. I understand what it's like to prune. You have to go out and you have to tear off some of the little shoots because you're trying to prune it. You're trying to cut it back. You're, you're, you're doing things to it because you want it to produce more. You want it to be the best that it can be, right? Listen to what he says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. There's a lot of people who think they're in Christ. A lot of those who believe that they are in Christ, but their life is uh, not producing fruit. Jesus says, you'll know them by the fruit. Either they're going to produce fruit that's going to demonstrate that they belong to me, or they're going to produce fruit that's going to demonstrate they don't belong to me. They're either going to be wheat or they're going to be tares. But then he goes on to say, uh, every branch that does bear fruit. In other words, those who 
are truly positioned in Christ, they bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you know anything about pruning, you know it's not fun. It's not a fun experience, particularly for what you're pruning. Things are getting cut off. Things are being removed. And the point is, is that as one who is in Christ, God loves you so much that He doesn't leave you the way He finds you. He begins a process of transforming you and changing you. And that process is a, is a process of what we call theologically sanctification, but here He calls it pruning. And it's the same concept. That God is bringing things into your life, challenges and encouragement at the same time. Many of us don't understand that a challenge by God is an encouragement from God. That pain from God is an encouragement from God. Because God is using that struggle, that suffering or that pain or whatever it is that you're going through to produce more in you than what you had before. And what's he doing? You see, the beginning we said, what, is it, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does a Christ follower look like? Well, let me tell you something. You will never be able to follow Christ in your own strength. And if you try to, you're going to fail miserably. But what God does, he knows that not only can we not save ourselves, we can't even live for him in our flesh. So what he does is he begins to live in us. We abide in him and he abides in us. And what he does is he begins to work in our lives through all sorts of circumstances to make us more and more and more like Jesus. This is, this is something you need to understand. As a Christian, your life will never be defined by a moment your life will be defined by many moments. There's going to be moments where you're going to feel very distant from God. And that could be a pruning moment. It could be a correcting moment. It could be a, a moment in sin, but you need to know this. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And He's going to do something even through the sinful things in your life that's going to produce repentance and that's going to bring you back into greater faith in Jesus Christ. You will learn from those things in your flesh. This is what God is doing. He will constantly work in your life. He will never leave you alone. He's going to challenge you and encourage you to become more and more and more like Jesus. You need to understand, you've not been called to look like a religious person. You've not been called to look like the people around you. You've been called to look like Jesus. You've been called to follow Jesus. So don't find some sweet justification or satisfaction and saying, well, I'm not as bad as the person next to me. The person next to you is not the standard. God is the standard and He's the one we're following. And what He is doing in our life is He is working through us. He is the vine and we are the branches and He is pressing His life through us to do what? To produce fruit. And it's His fruit. Notice something about this analogy. God has not called you to produce fruit. God has called you to abide in Christ and Christ is going to produce fruit in you. You see, if you're a branch, and let's say that you're an apple tree or an orange tree or a lemon tree, and you're just the branch, if you cut the branch off from the trunk, what's that branch going to do laying there on the ground? 
Is it going to still produce fruit? Are apples going to come out of that apple branch? No. Do you know what's going to happen? It's going to wither and die because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. But when that branch is connected to Christ, Christ is the life that's within you, pressing His life through you, and any fruit that exists on that branch, which you are, any fruit that's produced is produced by God, not by you. You know all you contribute to producing fruit? Abiding in Christ. That's what you contribute, abiding in Christ. He's wanting to produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. Galatians 5, 22 and 24 through 24 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit that God is producing in us. He's wanting to produce in us the fruit of righteousness. Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11, that we are honest, people of integrity, that we are people of morals, people of character, that we are people who strive to do right, right, righteous things for the Lord, that we are wanting to please God through righteous acts. That's not legalism, by the way. When you love the one you want to please, doing good for them is not, is not some legalistic act. It is an act of love. He says, if you love me, you will obey me. And so he wants us to produce fruits of righteousness. But he also wants us to be fishers of people. He wants us to share the gospel with other people and see other people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We do that collectively as a church. We do that individually as we go throughout our days at work, as we're interacting with co-workers and strangers in the community, as we are interacting with our own family. The greatest mission field is your family. Your children, your wife, your, your husband, your in-laws, your siblings, your cousins, your nieces, your nephews. And we've been around them. This, 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 if you've been with your family this Christmas, you've probably got lost family members. That's the greatest mission field. And it's one that we all struggle with the most, right? This man's hard. Some of you would rather witness to a stranger than your own family member. It's not easy. But God's called us to produce fruit on all levels. This is what it means to abide in Him. Now, again, don't get lost in the idea, well, you just said that you can't produce fruit. Christ produces in it. Produces through you. That's the point. If you're abiding in Christ, guess what? You're going to long for lost people to be saved. If you're abiding in Christ, you're going to long to do good things. If you're abiding in Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is going to manifest itself through you. Those things are going to happen. I want you to get this verse in your heart. One of my favorite verses, Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know what the good work is? The good work is salvation, something you didn't do, something God did. The only thing you contributed to your salvation was your sin. That was it. God, did, God saved you. It's a gift. If it's anything else, it's a work. God saved you. That's the good work. He began this good work. He started it. And he's saying, I'm going to finish it. There's no greater verse, in my opinion, for the Christian to cling to than to know the faithfulness of God through His Word, that God has never not accomplished what He set out to accomplish. And if God has saved you, He will bring your salvation to completion. And He's going to do it through this process of pruning, this process of sanctification. So what does God expect from me? 
Very simply. Go back to our verse. John 15, 1 through 6. Abide in me. This is what God expects. Abide in me. I'm abiding in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. That's the analogy I gave you. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do what? You can do what? Not, not, not one thing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. There's a warning connected to this blessing. But the point of our sermon this morning is this. God expects us to have a deep, abiding love relationship with Him. To love Him. To worship Him. We are not commanded to bear fruit. We are commanded to abide. Abide means to remain through every season. Sleet, hells, tornadoes, hurricanes. Through every part of your life, God expects you to abide in Him. That we're trusting in Him for the difficulties, the struggles, the pain, the hurt, all of it. But we're remaining in Him. So what does it mean to abide in Christ? Well, it means I'm continually depending upon His grace. I'm constantly depending on God. Do you know one of the things that I do periodically? Periodically meaning almost every single day is I'm reminding myself of God's grace in my life. I'm thinking on the grace of God in my life. And sometimes it's through very difficult situations. Sometimes it's those sleepless nights. It's three in the morning. You can't sleep. You got a lot going on. And you're just thinking, man, the grace of God sustains me. God's grace is sufficient in, in weakness. God's strength is made perfect. That's what He said to Paul, in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. My grace is enough. We're depending upon His grace. We're contemplating upon that grace. We're praising God for His grace. And that also means that I'm continually depending upon His Word. You know, many resolutions this year are to read the Bible every day. Some of you made that resolution last year. How'd it go? Hopefully you did well. But people set these resolutions, they set these goals, and then they're like, oh, I didn't get in my word today, and man, I just, I feel like such a failure, you know. You know what David said? Thy word have I hid in my heart. Do you know you can meditate on the word of God without reading it? You meditate on what you know. And if you just know John 3.16, and you're in a day and you're just meditating on the Word of God. You're abiding in that grace by abiding in His Word. You're meditating upon the things that God has said and His promises. John 8.31 says, If you abide in My Word, when you are, uh, you, then you are truly disciples of Mine. That abiding means that we are just trusting in it. We're depending upon it. We are leaning into the promises of God it also means this, I'm continually depending upon His presence. God's Word says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many of you understand that there's a time, there are times in your life when you feel distant from God, but get, get, you need to get this, that's because you moved, not because He moved. <laughs> that's because you moved, not because He moved. He's not gone anywhere. 
He's always with us. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Either we believe His Word or we don't. Either we trust in this supernatural miracle of God abiding in us and us in Him and His Spirit being within us or we don't. But if we do believe in that, we cling to those things. We're depending upon His grace. We're depending upon His Word. We're depending upon His presence. Through every aspect of my life, I'm depending upon God as a husband, as a parent, as a, hus- as a wife, as an employer, as an employee, uh, as a human with all kinds of problems, as an American citizen, in every situation, as a church member, in every situation, we are depending upon Christ. We're abiding in Him. Everything else flows from that. And what can we expect when we're abiding in Christ? Well, your prayers will be answered. John 15, 7 tells us we're abiding in Him. Whatever we ask, He will do. Now you need to understand if you're abiding in Him, guess what? Your desire is going to be for His will to be done, not yours. You're not going to be selfish abiding in Christ. You're going to be humble and you're going to be desiring the will of God for your life. You'll see your prayers answered. And by the way, that verse also assumes you'll be praying. When you are abiding in God, you're in tune with His thoughts. And our prayers will be a reflection of His desires. Another thing you'll see is that God is honored and pleased with you. We see that in John chapter 15 and verse 8. Let's just read it. It says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God receives the credit from our lives when, when fruit is produced. It's not about our good works. It's not letting our light so shine before men so that they can see our good deeds. It's letting our light shine before men so that they can see those good deeds and God will be glorified through it. That our good deeds, our good fruit points back to Christ. Whenever people say things to me, if any good deed is done or something is done and they'll, well, thank you for that. Well, hey, to God be the glory. And I've even told some people, listen, the reason that I do this is because of God. Not, but my flesh don't want to do this. My flesh is stingy. I'm greedy. I like presents. I don't like giving them. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But any good thing is God, right? And He's honored. The love of Christ will overwhelm you. We see that in John chapter 15, 9 through 10. It says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I've spoken to you that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You'll be overwhelmed with the love of Christ and you'll be overwhelmed with the joy of Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Lastly, how do I abide in Christ? Well, you can't do it alone. God did not call us to live alone. He called us to live in a family, belonging together, coming together in church, uh, church gathering service so that we can sing praises to the Lord, so that we can sit under the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God together to feast together, to have food. We're bra- Many of you don't realize this, but you and I right now are breaking bread together. We're feasting on the Word of God. It is the bread of life. And we are feasting on that Word together. You can't do it alone. And if you think you can, you'll fail miserably. God intended for us to have one another. We're to meditate upon God's Word continually. 
That's how we abide in Christ. We're to pray daily and we're to ask God to give us wisdom and strength. If we sin, we're to ask God to forgive us and we're to restore that fellowship, not relationship, but the fellowship, that sweet communion with the Father. And we're to trust in the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So as you and I go into this new year, I want you to think about this thing. God has called you to follow Him. Not just for one day, not just Sunday, not just at this particular time in your life, but God has called you to follow Him every single day of your life. You have been called to follow Jesus. If you are a Christ follower, you need to emulate His life. You need to look at His life and you see those three relationships abiding in a love relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. That's our goal. Belonging as brothers and sisters in the faith, as a church family, that's our goal. And reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's our goal. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take this message and rest it on our hearts, that we would be encouraged, that we would be lifted by it, that we would find much grace, and we would find much relief. Lord, help us to know that there is simplicity in following Jesus as well as complexities, but Lord, help us not to make it some complex religious system. Help us to make our following you exactly what it is, an abiding love relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. Help us to know that the only way to the Father is through Jesus, that you came to us because we would never be able to come to you. Help us to know you have not called us into a religion, but you've called us into a relationship. You've called us to love you supremely and above all things. So help us to truly worship you as our creator, our Lord, and our Savior. Father, I pray for my church family today. I pray that our, my brothers and sisters this morning, young and old, would seek through 2024 to exist in this abiding relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ. That, that we would uh, meditate upon your word. We would trust in your grace, depending upon what you have done for us, your goodness and your mercy. That we would believe and trust that the Holy Spirit is continually abiding with us and that your promises are true, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And that because you have begun this good work of salvation in our lives, you will bring it to completion all the way to the point of Jesus' return. Father, thank you for your faithfulness and gracious compassion in our lives. May you get glory through this sermon and through our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.